On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. I spent my college days throwing perfect passes and trash-talking BYU. And I spent my college career smashing Utah Utes' faces into the mud. I'm Jason Buck. And I'm Scott Mitchell. After our careers in the NFL, we still talk trash. But mostly to each other on our podcast, Rivals. We talk all things football, college, and NFL. A little bit about life and growing up rivals. Download it each week wherever you get your podcasts or on the KSL Sports app. Go Cougs! And go Utes! I think it was over time, right? Because over time, he demonstrated over and over that he genuinely cared about me. So little things like, hey, Joel, how are you today? How, how's your college class? You know, how's this? How are your parents? You know, little things like that over time. I think that's how you really build it because it's you're right. You could you could ask that you could go through that script, but it may not be perceived as being super genuine if you don't have a relationship that's that's deeper than that. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Kodiak Cakes. CEO Joel Clark. Joel, thanks for making time. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me again. So in the first episode, we talked about Shark Tank. We talked about growing $100 million a year in business. Um, uh, Talking a little more, going a different direction here on this episode, um, can you talk about dealing with isolation and finding a co-founder and and what that was like for you and why it was valuable for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when I took Kodiak Hicks over, I, when I was 23, it was just a little tiny business. I was running it from home, my parents' basement actually, and it was just me. So I, I was all alone, and and I I did that for God almost seven years. And so I had a job, you know, I'd do during the day, and then I'd go and run Kodiak Hicks at night, and um. I learned pretty fast that it was pretty tough to be alone. I didn't really, I didn't like being all alone. That was hard for me. And so when I quit my job in 2004 to do Kodiak cakes full time, my dad joined me to help me out of retirement. So he was 65 at the time and he and I just started working on it and we worked together for almost four years, like I said before in the first episode, but it was, you know, it was so much fun and I, I loved having him there and, and we, we bounced ideas off of each other and you know, just having someone there to be a partner with was really important for me. So when he retired, when he was 70, this was in, you know, about 2008, 2009, that's when I, I hired Cameron Smith, who is, is our COO now. And he really became a co-founder for me. And, and I, I just felt that that's what I needed. I, I was the, that's, that was my style. I need to have somebody working with me that's, that's partnering with me and helping me make decisions. And, some people are fine or probably, you know, okay being more alone and just having people that report to them. But for me, that was something that I really needed. And so, and also just having great relationships here at work, that, that, that really helps. And it's motivating for me. That's great. Um, when you think about this idea of um, connection and human connection, um, my, my guess is, you know, it's pretty easy to, to see what an optimistic guy you are comes across. Um mm-hmm. 
when you think <laughs> about making that contagious across an organization, yeah. what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, that is, that's important. Um, couple, a couple things that, well, there's a couple things that I do. Um, one of them is I try, I really do try to like deliberately surround myself with optimistic people because I feed off of that, right? We, we, I mean, as people, we sort of, we can feed off of each other's emotions and personalities. And I, I really like being around optimistic people. So, you know, Cameron, for example, he's our COO I mentioned, but man, he's one of the most optimistic people that I know. And so he's been just, a, he's had a huge impact on just the way I am and motivating me and helping me to be optimistic and to stay super motivated. And so I think that's good. But then also it's, you just have to be careful about being negative. You just have to be really, really careful because people will take that and they'll, they'll run with that, you know? And so we have to just stay positive, stay optimistic and not let the the issues that come, we can't let them bog us down and, and, and we cannot act like it's the end of the world when little things come up. That, that I think is, can do a lot of damage. And so staying positive, staying optimistic is, is crucial. So what about, you know, you've got a growing organization. What about when you have a team member that needs some correction, somebody who, who isn't living that way? Um, yeah. And you realize like this isn't a little thing, you know, this is, you know, we probably need a real talk about it. Yeah. Any yeah. thoughts about how you approach what's, you know, a conversation that a lot of managers and leaders prefer yeah. to avoid? Absolutely. Like, honestly, Jess, early on, I was bad at this. I, I really was not very good at it. And it was hard for me to approach and have a candid conversation and, and give direct feedback. It was harder. And so, you know, I kind of felt like I just want to lead through example and just, you know, they'll get it. They'll come along, you know, and that can happen when you're five people, you don't, you know, people do, they kind of, they kind of come along and they see how you're working and it sort of happens. Culture sort of happens. But as we grew, we, number one, felt the need, we realized we got to, we need to establish our culture, write it down. And then what we started to do is we started to hold each other accountable for our culture. And so it, it's now like 25% of our bonus is living our culture, living our values and our, our, we call it the Kodiak code. So if someone is not living it or they're doing something wrong or whatever, we now have really honest, open conversations with people. And that became part of our culture was to have candid feedback. But the way we do it is always respectful. And so that became a big part of the culture too, is that yes, we need to be great to work with. We need to work well with each other, but we also need to have candid feedback and let each other know when we're needing to improve something. But it always has to be done with respect and with high EQ because and then you can handle those things and then and then people appreciate the feedback. Well, you're helping them make sure they get their bonus at the end of the year, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's not the easiest thing, right? If we're frustrated enough with someone that we need to have a talk with them, mm -hmm. um, are there things you tell yourself? Is there any tricks or or ideas for the rest of us who, you know, it's finally gotten to the point we we're ready to talk to somebody about something and we know yep. that we need to we need to get in that good place so that we can come yeah. into that conversation with respect. Yep. A couple of things I that I do that I, I, I will make myself some notes. I'll write it down. I'll talk about that. I'll, you know, think through the things that I need to mention. And then you just do it. You just start. You just have the conversation. And it gets easier the more of them you have. But there is one strategy I think that helps a lot with with making the conversation easier to have in the beginning which is to set the expectation up front that you're going to you're going to give honest open feedback. So we have, you know, one of our one of our leaders here 
Um, her name's Darla. She's our VP of sales. And what, she's really good at this. And she tells people from the beginning, she's like, hey, I'm always going to tell you if there's anything I, that I see that you need to change or I'm always going to help you. I'm going to coach you along. And so people know from the beginning that she's going to talk to them. She's going to give them feedback. And it's just, it's okay because it's like established. That's how it's going to be. And so when people, you know, when people come in and get hired here at Kodiak Cakes, we're, we tell them from the beginning, hey, we're going to give you open feedback. And we're going to ask for it too. We want it back. It's going to be two ways. You're going to have a chance to, to give, to be totally open about how you feel about your boss or how you feel about this or that. And so setting that up from the beginning really helps. And you just tell people, hey, I'm going to be talking to you. I'm going to give you feedback. I'm going to tell you what I see, what I hear. And they love it and they appreciate it. So that can be, you know, that can be dicey depending on the culture someone else comes from. So it's, it's yeah. nice to hear that you're actually living it. But for other folks who feel like, when my boss says that, it sounds more like the New Yorker cartoon where the boss comes in and says, I want you to tell me exactly what you think of me, even if it costs you your job. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so like, how do you signal to people um, that, that get them to actually believe it's safe enough to actually say what they mean? Because, you know, especially larger organizations, there's a lot of what gets said and then what was actually meant underneath, right? Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. I think one thing we do is we talk about it enough. And we ask for it enough to where people actually become more comfortable. So at first, yeah, you're right. At first, someone probably won't. They're going to be pretty guarded about what they say because they're not really sure. Do they do they do they really believe you? Right? Do they want to take that risk in case in case they you know there really could be a repercussion there? But I think over time, the more you the more time you spend with people, the more you ask for the feedback, and the more you give it, and the more the more um, I guess safe they feel, then the more they'll open up. And then that's when you can really make progress with, you know, improvements or changes or things that need to happen. And so I think it's just talking about a lot and actually you know, genuinely, genuinely wanting feedback and giving it that helps. Yeah. Well, um, it, it sounds like uh, it sounds like it works. It sounds like people are seeing someone else give that feedback and then not getting fired or not getting dumped on mm -hmm. later. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and they see that example. Um so let's go another direction. You've done a lot of PR in your life. What's, what's a question that we haven't asked yet that, that we should ask or that you want to get asked? Yeah, um, I think, you know, I think something that might be kind of interesting is uh, like, because you, you, you come across a lot of different um, leadership styles, you know, and I think something that's interesting for me is always hearing from other, I like, what I like hearing from other people is, you know, other types of people they worked around that, you know, set a good example to them or had an impact on them. And, you know, and maybe how, you know, my style might have changed because of other people that I worked for. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think is interesting. Let's hear it. Yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, I had several jobs growing up and I remember I worked, my first job in high school was working for this pizza place. And the guy that I worked for was, he was just a total jerk. He was just me. I mean, he really was me. And one night I almost walked out on him. Like it was just the two of us. He and I were working this busy Friday night at this little, little pizza place, you know, and he was just kind of yelling at me and, and just being rude. And I was working my butt off, man. I was running back and forth, cleaning up tables, serving tables, doing dishes. I was doing everything. And he was cooking. And I, and, and man, I was a hard worker and, and I just remember thinking, I want to leave. I, I should just, I should just leave and just, you know, stiff this guy, <laughs> you know, leave him out to dry on this busy Friday night. 
and I didn't. You know, that was probably it's probably a good move that I didn't because that would have just been you know revenge. That's never good. So I didn't. But what I learned was, you know, you don't really have to be a jerk. <laughs> you know, you can get a lot more out of people just by being kind and nice and you know being open, feedback, telling them what you want. So then later I worked for a guy in Salt Lake, a guy named Clark Louder, who um, he sold electrical products. And this guy was awesome. I mean, I loved working for him. This was when I was in college. <clears throat> and he was the opposite. He was a guy that cared about all of us. He cared about us individually and how we were doing, how we were, you know, how our lives were, cared about our work and if we were having enjoying our work. And it was such a change for me. It just opened my eye, uh, eyes up. To that, hey, you know, you can be a really nice guy and still be a really great leader and a great boss and great and get really great results. And so, you know, that's kind of we talked earlier in the first episode about relationships, and it just made me it motivated me to work hard for this guy. And so I kind of learned or I kind of thought from that experience, you know, I want to be that type of guy. I'd rather be the type of guy that really, you know, yeah, has you, good relationships and empowers people and cares about them. So that you know, that's something that helped me in my life. Can you think of an example? Was it that he took you aside and was interested in what you were interested in, or, or any anything? Any instances come to mind that would illustrate the, the point of the way he led? Yeah, I mean, I remember one example. He, he, you know, he would, and maybe this probably happened quite regularly, actually. But I, I remember one time he pulled me aside and he said, "Hey, how are you? How are you doing?" He's, uh, he said, "You know, I know that we've given you a lot of work and you're doing really well." He told me that. He gave me feedback. He said, "You're doing really well, and we want to give you more." And he said, you know, can you handle it? Are you okay? Because I, you know, I was going to college too at the time too, and so, um, and I just liked that he cared. It wasn't just about only about what am I producing, what are my results, and what are the dollars that we're bringing in. It was he genuinely cared about my workload, if I was enjoying the work, and if it was too much or if it was the right amount. And I mean, that was just one example, but just one of those little things that I appreciated because he was communicating and he cared. So, what was it about? the way because you know other leaders could read that script right what is it about the way he was asking that you knew it wasn't just like a management trick yeah i gosh that's a good question i think i think it was over time right because over time he demonstrated <clears throat> over and over that he genuinely cared about me so uh, little things like hey joel how are you today how how's your college class you know how's this how are your parents you know Little things like that over time, I think that's how you really build it because it's you're right. You could you could ask that you could go through that script, but it may not be perceived as being super genuine if you don't have a relationship that's that's deeper than that. And so I think that's really what it was. And it was also that I, I, I saw him care about other people in the company. You know, I was young, but there were these these guys that had been working for him for years, years and years. And. And they liked their job, and they and 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 I knew that he really cared about those guys and their families, and that that um, it wasn't just about the boss making a lot of money. It was about everybody in the company, and so I I saw those things happen too, and so I I kind of picked up on those elements, and and that's how I knew that he was genuine. Yeah, uh, I heard a quote recently: um, a real friend is someone who asks how things are going and actually listens to the answer. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like he was like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he actually did care. You're right. Because we can ask, but you can kind of tell when someone's like, eh, I'm asking that because that's what you do, you know, rather than actually caring. Yeah. So um, it's great to feel like I like my work and, and everybody talks about workplace culture these days. 
-hmm. And then secretly leaders know, hey, my promotion, my bonus, my stock options, what the board wants for me is we got to post the numbers, you know? Right. And, and so with you guys having such growth, I mean, you have this workplace we've been talking about, but you also have the growth. Um, what do you, what do you attribute that to? What do you, what do you, what would you say, uh, or advice you have for folks who are maybe not as happy with their growth that, uh, want to kick it into a higher gear like you guys are? Well, I think, um, one thing, I mean, I really do feel like, again, like you just said, Jess, we, culture is always talked about, but I, I really feel like it's the lifeblood of our company, you know, and I feel like, I feel like it's number one, the, the numbers have to be number two because they, they, they depend on the culture. They depend on the people. So they, they have to be. So if the numbers are number one and then you start leading, you know, you start leading that way and people start to know that all you really care about are the numbers. Then I think then the culture gets damaged and people start checking out mentally because what we really are trying to do is we're trying to get people to want to be here. We're trying to get people to want to give their best and to, to give everything they have. And so I think that if culture is truly cared about and focused on as the number one priority, and you really do, you know, you really work hard to build it and manage it because culture has to be managed. It's always changing. Then I think, then you can really start focus. Then you can hit your numbers. Then you can start to figure out what are, you know, what are the weak points? What are the areas where we're strong and how do we build on those? And, and, and what are the things that are making us successful and how do we build on that? So, I mean, I, that's what I would say. I would say just, it really does need to be the number one focus. It just needs to be, even even if that sounds cliche, it just has to be. And then you can, you know, then you really can have the ability to drive and hit your numbers because you've got people that want to be there and that will support you with that, with your goals. Well, and, you know, while I'm playing the devil's advocate a bit there, um, mm-hmm. I think the reason I was pushing you a little bit on it is for me, it sounds like, and I want you to correct me because I'm going to put words in your mouth here, but it yeah. sounds like a little bit what you're saying is by people knowing that you care about them first and that that, mm-hmm. that, that is that authenticity is is alive and well then your ability to ask them to bring their a game is not just the boss because he said so because he wants his numbers like it's almost more like a friend or somebody you like is is making the request and it's less of a you know in addition to the you should it sounds like there's this whole because like we started the first episode of because i like my boss i'm more likely to bring that discretionary effort is that fair yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. It's like I would completely agree. It's you're there, you want you start to want the same you know, people that you really have good relationships with, you you can align pretty fast, right? So you, as soon as your boss cares about something, you're going to kind of you're going to care about it too because you really have a relationship and you care about what he cares about or she cares about. And so I think that is the reason why. And I think what you say is true and I, and I think that's why. It's cuz we we like we care about things that we want to care about things that, that that you know that other people care about when we have a great relationship with them. Yeah. Well, I'll put you on the spot, and if you don't have a story for this, just tell me. But can you think <laughs> yeah. about can you think about any time when you you did have an instance and it was like somebody screwed up something for the numbers, and you have mm-hmm. like this temptation to give them the gears or or whatever, um, and it really comes down to that choice between the numbers and the human, and it and uh, and it was you know. <laughs> tempting to choose the numbers yeah i i i know we've had situations like that where and i, I can't i can't think of one particular instance i don't put you on the spot that's okay but i know but i know we've had instances like that where where somebody messed something up and it and it might have been costly and they you know then then maybe we maybe we were tempted to kind of come down hard 
but you know, what does that do? I will tell you, I want an instance comes to mind where that happened to me though. So this boss that I was talking to you about, his name was Clark Louder. <laughs> one time I, I made a pretty stupid mistake and I, I authorized a bunch of product, like several thousand dollars worth of product to be shipped out to a building site before the building site was ready to receive it. And so, you know, it really, it was costly because we had to ship the product twice and it never should have gotten out. And, and I remember, I remember being really pretty like, like crap, I really screwed up. And this is, you know, this is going to cost the company a decent amount of money. And I remember thinking to myself, man, you know, Clark has every right to really get on me for this. He really does. He could be so bummed, but he didn't. The way he handled it was awesome. He basically said, you know, it's all right, Joel. We, we make mistakes. You know, we, we make mistakes. These things happen. And then we learn from them and we get better. He's like, it's not the end of the world. And I thought it was awesome because then I, I was like, man, I am going to run through walls for this guy. You know, I'm going to bust my butt and I'm going to make it up for him, make it up to him. And I'm going to I'm going to be better. And so it was it was actually he turned it into a really motivating experience for me. <laughs> You know, uh, I love that story. My my hero, this guy named Terry Warner, he says something like along the lines, I'm going to misquote him, but like when we point fingers, people's uh, conscience defends them. But when yeah. we don't, their conscience convicts them, right? Like, yeah. You can think about the leadership thing of like, well, we got to let them know that that's unacceptable. Well, you already knew that was unacceptable, yeah. right? Oh my gosh. And no, like kid, what no. you told yourself, what's the effect that had on you versus anything he could have said to you, right? Oh my gosh, totally. He handled that so well. And it, man, it, gosh, I got motivated as, as a result from that. So I, I did more good in the company over time just because I cared about him, you know? Love it. Well, um, for people that want to try uh, your products, where's the best place for them to connect? So yeah, you can get Kodiak cakes in most grocery stores. So like Costco, a lot of people like it at Costco. You can get a big box there and it's a pretty good deal. And then you can get it at, you know, most other grocery stores like Smith's and Target, the Harmons if you're in Utah. And, you know, it's actually just going out into Walmart stores pretty, pretty soon. So hey, congratulations. There too. thanks. Love it. Well, uh, thanks again for all your stories. This is a great episode. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You bet.